If you have your Bibles, let's turn to John 19. We're going to start in the second half of verse 16. And if you were here the last time I spoke, now I know a lot of you are new here. I see a lot of new faces. Um, you can always go to our website and hit part one. This is part two. It is finished. And the last time I spoke, I covered only the first point. That's why this is part two, part one, and point one. There was a lot of meat in it, a lot of things to talk about in point one. So I didn't want to rush it. So this is part two. And point one was you have been crucified with Christ. For those of you who stayed awake, (laughs) you remember, you have been crucified with Christ. Today, we will continue, it is finished, part two, which will be the last two points. In part one, point one, we looked at Jesus reaching the climax of his ministry. And the climax of his ministry was his crucifixion. He was crucified. He bore his own cross. He was crucified between two thieves. Pilate put an inscription on the cross for everyone to read. Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. We saw he was also treated shamefully by the soldiers. And we also looked at how this applies to us in the 21st century. Some of the things we looked at last time as our sins are forgiven, our names are written in heaven. These are the things that Christ accomplished. And these are the things we like to think about that brings us joy. That our sins are forgiven and our names are written in heaven. Now who would not rejoice in that? But then we looked at things we don't like to look at because they cause us pain and discomfort. You have been crucified with Christ. You died with Christ. And now you're dead to sin. The old you has died. The old you, if you're born again, if you've been regenerated by the Spirit of God, the old you has been crucified with Christ. Now the crucified, resurrected Christ lives his life through you by his spirit. And we saw Paul elaborating on this in Romans, the 6th chapter, which we're not going to go over now. And because we've been crucified with Christ, here's another thing we don't like. We bear our own cross. Now, I said this the last time and it bears repeating. There's a lot of misconception of what it means to bear your own cross. It's not your mother-in-law. It's not your children in their diapers. It's not your sickness. It's none of that stuff. It's death to self and alive to Christ. It's total commitment. Total surrender. Listen, when Jesus fed the 5,000, right? Everybody followed him. Hey, we got free bread here. You get free food until Jesus said, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, pick up his cross and follow me. You know what happened? They all left. Amen. They left. 
You're dying to the old man, the sinful flesh, the unredeemed self. Why? Because nothing good dwells in your flesh. Nothing. It's hostile towards God. And then we saw that you'll be surrounded by evil. These are the things we don't like. We like our sins are forgiven. We like uh, uh, that names are written in heaven. But we don't like that we have to bear our cross. And we don't like, because it goes against the human nature, doesn't it? We don't like that we'll be surrounded by evil. Jesus was crucified between two thieves. But yet he was never intimidated. Yet even in the midst of being surrounded by evil, Jesus in his dying, suffering state ministered to one of the thieves on the cross. And then we saw, and I'm just, just, I'm just giving you a quick review. Otherwise, a lot of this would not make sense. And then we saw that you preach the kingdom of God without prejudice. Remember, Pilate put on the cross the inscription, Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. And he had it written in Greek, Latin, and Aramaic. Why did he have it in the three languages? So everybody could see. Now, he didn't know what he was doing, Pilate. He wasn't doing it because God told him to do it. But God ordained it because the whole world was going to see. Jesus... The king of the Jews. Not only the king of the Jews, but Jesus, the king of the Gentiles. Jesus, king of the universe. And some will protest. When you preach the gospel without prejudice, some will protest. The Jews protested. We didn't, don't put that up there. Just say, he said he was... The, and, and what did Pilate say? Pilate said, what I have written, I have written. And we looked at... God's word doesn't change, does it? Amen. And then the, the last thing we looked at in point one was, you will be treated shamefully by the world. The Roman soldiers treated Jesus shamefully. They tore his clothes off and cast lots for them. They divided them amongst themselves and, and for his tunic... They cast lots. Your Savior hung on the cross naked. He took your shame. Today we're going to see how the Savior deeply cares for you. We have a Savior that cares. And also we're going to look at a Savior who redeemed us solely by the finished work of of the cross. Amen. Nothing you or I could ever add. No. Once you start adding to Christianity, to, to the finished work of the cross, you know what happens? It's not grace anymore. Amen. When Jesus cried out, It is finished! The believer's penalty for their sin was stamped, paid in full. I don't know about you, that excites me. That excites me. That's such good news. That is the greatest news. So great that I can cry out with David. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven. Whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity. Only because Jesus finished the work of redemption on the cross. So let's turn to John. Starting at the second half of verse 16. To verse 30. You know what? Let's go to. 
because we did this part already. Let's start with verse 25 for the sake of time. Could we go to verse 25, Jackie? But standing by the cross of Jesus, uh, would you mind doing me a favor? Let's stand for the reading of God's word. Amen. I really shouldn't say, would you mind doing me a favor? Let's just stand for the word of God. But standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clopas and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour the disciple took her to his own home. After this, Jesus knowing that all was now finished said, To fulfill the scripture, I thirst. A jar full of sour wine stood there, so they put a sponge full of the sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this word. We thank you for this text of scripture. We thank you for the finished work of Jesus Christ. The only reason why we could stand here and worship you and say Jesus is Lord is because of what Christ did on the cross. Help us to not be indifferent towards this. Help us to grow in our grace, in the grace and knowledge of this particular uh, text. Uh, To grow in his knowledge and understanding of the crucified Christ. Help us, God, in Christ's precious name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. I want to start off with a story. There's a story of a man who would control a section of a bridge to go up or down so the train could pass over. Now, many of you may have heard this story. I'm not sure. But anyway, when the train passed over, he would pull the lever and the bridge would return to the previous position. It was some type of drawbridge. Well, one day his son, who loved to look at trains, was playing around on the tracks. And he slipped and fell onto the part of the tracks where the bridge would go up and down to make the connection of the tracks so the train could go over the bridge. But there was a problem. When the son fell, he was trapped by the part of the bridge that if lowered would crush him to death. But if the father did not lower the bridge, the train would crash into the river because there was no bridge connecting the tracks. If that happened, hundreds of passengers would die. The father had to make a decision quickly. Save his son and don't draw the bridge or draw the bridge and the son would be crushed to death, but the passengers would be saved. The father, with terror and horror, decided to save the passengers. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. Now this is a fictitious story not for God so loved the world but the story that I said before that. And, And it pales next to God's eternal plan of sacrificing his own son for the sake of his church. Now God 
did not make a quick decision to save lost sinners, did he? No. His plan was from all eternity. He sacrificed his son, and guess what? You reap the benefits. And my proposition to you is the same as last, because this is still the same message. Christ finished the work of redemption, and you reap the benefits. And three points I want to bring to you. First one we looked at, you have been crucified with Christ. Second point is you have a Savior who cares. And you might say, well, I know that. I know I have a Savior who cares. But you know something? Sometimes the way we live our lives, and sometimes the way we have a lack of trust at times, we don't understand that you have a Savior that cares. And point three, you have, re- you have been redeemed solely by Christ's finished work. Let's look at point two. You have a Savior... Who cares? Okay, Jesus is on the cross. He's forsaken by most. None of the disciples were found there except who? John. However, John tells us that there was some woman who stood by the cross. And if you read the other three Gospels, it tells us that there was some woman um, who stood at a distance watching Jesus. There's no contradiction here. It was perfectly normal as the women were watching the brutal crucifixion to be overcome with grief and they would withdraw at times and watch from a distance and then return. And I I can imagine that. But we don't understand what it was like for Christ to be in that cross and and, and to see the excruciating pain that he was in. And and the women sometimes couldn't deal with that so they had to withdraw. But then they would come back. The other thing we may notice in the other three Gospels mentioned, uh, they mentioned that the woman after Jesus died. They mentioned the woman after he died. John mentions the woman before he died. No contradiction again. I, I think John is preparing his readers for the next point, which is found in verses 26 and 27, which includes Jesus' mother amongst the woman and his deep concern for her. It was after his death that obviously Jesus could have could have, if, if it was after his death, he couldn't have shown his concern. But now John shows Jesus' concern for his mother before his death. Let's read 26 and 27 again. Look at the deep concern of the Savior on the cross who is suffering so deeply. When Jesus saw his mother and a disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her to his own home. Now, Mary suffered watching her son suffer. I mean, I don't think anyone would ever ever deny that. A mother watching her son had to bring tremendous grief to her. I have a friend... Kathy Gallagher, who had, she was instrumental 40 years ago in leading me to Christ, who lost a son three years ago in a car accident. And I can't tell you the suffering to this day that when I talk to her, she still has. It was the hardest, they asked me to speak at the cemetery, and it was the hardest thing, one of the hardest things I ever did in my life. I didn't know what to say. 
be honest. And even though it's after three years and it, it seems like it's getting better, it's not. It's not. She has this deep grief in her heart. And my wife and I, we have a wayward daughter, actually two. And it brings grief to my wife deeply. Sometimes I hear her waking up at night, praying and crying. So Mary suffered, watching not only her son suffering, but the eternal Son of God suffering. She remembered when he was a babe born in the manger. She remembered the shepherds being told by the angels about the Savior wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in the manger and visiting this phenomenon. She remembered the wise men being led by the star, and when the star rested on the place where the child was. She remembered when the wise men brought their gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh and worshipped the baby Christ. She remembered all these things. She remembered when she lost Jesus in the crowd at the Feast of Passover in Jerusalem. He was only 12 years old. And he was found in the temple astounding the teachers and putting them to shame. She remembered that. She remembered his three-year ministry when he taught and he preached the kingdom of God. And he healed the sick. He opened blind eyes, unstopped deaf ears, and he raised the dead. She remembered that. She saw these things. She remembered all these things. She remembered when Anna, who was the prophetess, and lived in the temple fasting and praying, worshipping day and night. When Anna saw the baby Jesus, she gave thanks to God and spoke of him to the people that were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. She remembered. And I'm sure she remembered Simeon, who was waiting for the consolation of Israel. And he prophesied to her in Luke chapter 2. Verse 35, the first half of it. And a sword will pierce through your own soul. And as she remembered these things, and as she watched her son suffering, guess what? A sword pierced through her own soul. And the omniscient Christ on the cross knew this. And as Jesus was in excruciating pain, he still deeply cared for his mother. Even in suffering, Jesus, listen, this is how perfect Christ was. And this is the kind of perfection that only God demands from each of us, that only Christ did for us. Even on the cross, he fulfilled the fifth commandment, honor thy father and mother. He says to his mother, Woman, behold your son. He didn't call a mother now. He called a woman. By the way, that was a, not a disrespectful term. It was very an endearing term. Why did he call a woman? Well, Jesus was approaching the completed work of redemption. And the relationship was now changing. He was now a savior. Dr. Kent Hughes said their special earthly relationship as mother and son yielded to a higher, holier relationship as he became Savior. This is the foundation of his love and care for her and us. And Jesus put her in the care of his beloved friend, the Apostle John. Now Jesus, notice he didn't put Mary in the care of his own brothers. She had other children. He didn't do that. 
which tells us a couple of things. First, even his own brothers did not believe in him. Remember in chapter 7 of John when Jesus' brothers were trying to get Jesus to openly display his works? And Jesus rebuked them and said, My time has not yet come. For you, any time is right, not for me. And John tells us, For not even his brothers believed in him. And I think Jesus didn't want to place his mother in the, in the, in the care of unbelief. Secondly, John was his closest friend of the three. There was an inner circle, Peter, James, and John. John was his closest friend. That's why John says a lot of times in his gospel, the one who Jesus loved. Hey, don't you want to be that confident to say the one Jesus? I'm the one Jesus loved. Praise God. Jesus knew that putting his mother in the care of John would be good for her needs. Some of us have experienced the pain of putting parents in a nursing home because we just can't take care of them anymore. It was just, it's just sometimes too hard. We're not equipped physically, we're not equipped emotionally or medically to meet their needs. So in the best interest, what do we do? We search and look for the best possible home to take care of them. My both parents were in nursing homes. And, and when we've done our research and found one that we feel totally confident in, we put them in the care of that particular facility. Well, Jesus gave his mother the best, John. This is the way Jesus cares for each one of us that know him. He deeply cares for you and takes good care of you. Now, I know some of you may be thinking, that's Jesus' mother. Of course he's going to take care of her the best way. Of course. Who's not going to take care of their mother the best way? Well, before you think that, let me first say, Jesus loves you and cares for you the way he loved and cared for his mother. If you doubt me, let's turn to John or Matthew chapter 12, verses 46 to 50. While he was still speaking to the people, behold, his mother and his brothers stood outside, asking to speak with him. But he replied to the man who told him, Who is my mother, and who are my brothers? And stretching out his hand towards his disciples, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. He cares for you. As much as he cared for his mother. First Peter tells us, casting all your anxieties on him. Why? Because he cares for you. We gotta learn how to do that. Matthew six, twenty-five to thirty-four. Jesus gave this excellent, excellent um, talk about how much God cares for you. All God says for you to do is what? Trust Him. He says, therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, or what you will drink, or about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, and they neither sow nor reap nor gather into bonds, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to the span of life? 
And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They need the toil of spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? O you of little faith. Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows you need them all. But, seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow. The tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. He cares for us deeply. And he's saying he feeds the ravens, the sparrows. He takes care of them. He, he clothes the lilies of the field. Trust him. He cares for you deeply. And he cares for your soul. He's the overseer. The great shepherd and the overseer of your soul. Yes. We must not yes. let unbelief tell us differently. Amen. And third point. You have been redeemed solely, solely, and I underline that word solely, by the finished work of Christ. Verse 28 to 30. After this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said to fulfill the scripture, I thirst. A jar full of sour wine stood there. So they put a sponge full of the sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Let's look at the first thing first. Jesus was thirsty. And his humanity, suffering the way he suffered, he was thirsty. He was severely dehydrated, which was part of his suffering. And the second thing, he was also fulfilling scripture. So Jesus yet fulfills another prophecy. He's always fulfilling the messianic prophecies. Psalm 69, verse 21, second half. For my thirst they gave me sour wine to drink. And Jesus was thirsty and they gave him sour wine to drink. Concerning why John mentions fulfilling scripture, Dr. Donald Carson said that John wants to make his readers understand that every part of Jesus' passion was not only in the Father's plan of redemption, but a consequence of the Son's direct obedience to him. Every single event, you have to understand this. So many Christians don't. Every single event that happened from the birth of Christ to the cross of Christ was in the plan of God from all eternity. This was not an afterthought. Evil men in crucifying our Lord were just pawns in the hands of Almighty God. Concerning Jesus' thirst, I find it interesting that the one who promised the woman at the well, whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst again. The one who said, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. The same one who now says, I thirst. 
He became thirsty. So you and I, our spiritual thirst can be quenched. Rivers of living water now flow from the believer's heart. The soldiers offered him cheap wine, didn't they? Like vinegar. Not out of compassion. Probably more out of mockery. Christ offers us the choicest wine. The new wine of the new covenant. Grace upon grace upon grace. We'll never thirst again. Jesus all, he knew all was finished. And even though he did not die yet, his death was imminent. And after he took the drink, John tells us, he said, it is finished. Now I'm leaving some parts out. If you read the Synoptic Gospels, there's other things that Jesus said, but I'm just sticking to John's Gospel here. A couple of things we need to understand. If you do a casual reading of this phrase, it is finished, it's hard to understand what kind of emotion or force was behind these words. If you get familiar, and I hope you do, get familiar with the Gospels and how Jesus loved the Father and was extremely passionate about accomplishing his Father's will, you will understand more how, about how Jesus said this. Also, if you read both Matthew and Mark's account, they both say Jesus gave a loud cry before he died. And also, the Greek gives us an understanding of this phrase. Kent Hughes describes this phrase from the Greek. He says this, It is finished was not a submissive cry, but a shout of victory. In the Greek, it was only one word. In the Greek, perfect tense, meaning it is finished. Listen, it is finished and always will be finished. So knowing what I know, I don't believe Jesus said with no emotion, it is finished. No, it was a shout of victory. Praise God. It is finished. Now, I'm probably not even saying it like Jesus said it. He probably said it even louder than that because it was victorious. He knew he accomplished the Father's will. And that was his meat. That was his bread to accomplish his Father's will. Jesus came to earth. He clothed himself in humanity. He completed and filled the whole law, the moral law, the ceremonial law, the judicial law. He fulfilled all the messianic prophecies. He obeyed his Father's will perfectly. And now he completed the work of atonement. He shouted in victory, it is finished. And when he cried the victory shout, John tells us in verse 30 that he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Luke adds this, that Jesus said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Now I want you to get this. This is important. Notice he gave up his spirit. He gave up his spirit and he commits his spirit. Even in his weakened state, Jesus was in full control. Make no mistake about that. He voluntarily surrendered his life. And I read read that most crucified victims last longer on the cross than Jesus did. But Jesus gave up his life at the time that he 
and his father wanted at the perfect time. John MacArthur says that he still had the strength to shout loudly shows that he was not physically at the point of death. He voluntarily gave up his life. Listen, no one took Jesus' life. He willfully gave it. He is not the victim. He is the victor. John chapter 10 verse 18, Jesus said, and I, I underline these words in my notes, not over here, but he says, no one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have the authority to lay it down and I have the authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. Jesus finished the work of atonement the Father gave him to accomplish. And when he finished it, he gave up his spirit. The called sinner has been reconciled back to God. Not one iota help from the sinner. You and I don't bring anything to redemption. Only our sinners. Pastor Brian always, always says, and that's great. Because the only thing we bring is our sins. We bring nothing to God for salvation. Paul said in Romans 5.8, But God shows his love for us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. While I was shaking my fist at God, during my sinning, Christ died for me. When I was doing all the things... That I, when I look back now, I regret all the sins against the holy and righteous God. Christ died for me. That doesn't sound like a, you know, you read this verse in Romans 5 8, but God showed his love for us, and that why we have sinned is Christ died for us. It doesn't sound like I was deeply troubled by my sin. No, I was going my merry, sinful way when Christ died for me. And so are you if you're a Christian. I had no will to come to Christ. My will at best was in bondage to sin. Paul said in Romans, to the Roman church in the third chapter, the 10th verse and the 11th, he said, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. Some Christians think that God opens the sinner's heart and they see their sin, and now they can reject or accept Christ. That sounds like we're back in the garden, doesn't it? Adam, you can eat any of any tree, but just don't eat the tree of the, of the knowledge of good and evil. Don't eat that tree. For the day you eat it, you will surely die. You had a choice. It also sounds like we're back in the Old Testament. If we obey the law, we're blessed. If we disobey the law, we're cursed. Listen, they couldn't do it then, and you can't do it now. It's a complete work of God. Pastor Brian preached last week on being born again, and you learned that it was all God's doing as Brian gleaned through Ezekiel 36, verses 25 to 27, which I want to read again. And notice the I will. I will... Sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness and from all your idols. I will cleanse you, and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit. I will put within you, 
And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. Doesn't sound like anything I did. It sounds all like everything that God did. So now your next question might say, well, where does faith come in? Well, when God gives you a new heart, guess what? You have faith. Now you have faith. But by grace you have been saved. Through faith. And that, grace through faith, is not of yourself. It's a gift of God. Not of works, lest any man should boast. Why did God say this through the prophet Ezekiel? I mean, God is a holy God. He has to punish sin. But why would he give us a new heart? Because he knew that he was sending his son to the cross. Because Christ died on the sinner's behalf. 2 Corinthians 5.21 For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin. So that in him we might become the righteousness of God. The reason Ezekiel's prophecy came to pass is because it is finished. The reason why you you and I are born again is because it is finished. Without the finished work of the cross, we wouldn't have new hearts and we wouldn't be born again. Jesus lived a perfect life, obeyed the law perfectly. He died the death you and I should have died. He bore your sin, paid your penalty. It is finished. Don't add to the finished work of Christ. You can now come to the Savior when you labor and are heavy laden, and He will give you rest. You can now take His yoke upon you and learn from Him, for He is gentle and humble in heart. And you will find rest for your soul, for His yoke is easy and His burden is light. It is finished. Your burden has been lifted. It is finished. Your sins, past, present, and future, have been blotted out. God canceled the record of death that stood against you. With all its legal demands, he set it aside, nailing it to the cross. It is finished. The veil of the temple has been torn in two, giving you complete access to God without the fear of being struck down because of your sin. You don't need a priest to mediate for you anymore. You can go directly into the throne room of God, boldly and confidently. It is finished. Your names are written in the Lamb's book of life. It is finished. Satan has been defeated and has no power over your life. It is finished. Your flesh has been crucified and you now have the ability to walk after the Spirit. It is finished. The world lost its grip on you. It is finished. You are now a child of God. Are you a child of God? If you're not, know this. I'm not telling any of you you're saved. But I'm standing here telling you how to get saved if you don't know Christ. If you're a Christian, I'm going to read a list that someone sent me the other day that you benefit from because of the finished work of Christ. Because it is finished, God will be with you. God will intercede for you. The Holy Spirit will empower you. God will supply your needs. The risen Lord will protect you. The love of God will keep you. All things will work for your good. The defeat of sin and death is sure. You will see Christ face to face. You will worship the Lamb who was slain. Your body will be resurrected. 
Your sorrows will be no more. You will be with loved ones in Christ. You will be richly rewarded. Christ will make all things new. Why are all these realities in the Christian life? Because it is finished. It is finished. That is the best news anyone could ever hear. It is finished. If you're in Christ, you're a new creation. All things have passed. Everything has become new. It is finished. It is finished. I want to conclude here with the words from an old hymn by Philip Bliss. Man of sorrows, what a name for the Son of God who came. Ruined sinners to reclaim. Hallelujah, what a Savior. Bearing shame and scoffing rude, in my place condemned he stood. Sealed my pardon with his blood. Hallelujah, what a Savior. Guilty, vile, helpless we. Spotless Lamb of God was he. Full atonement can it be? Hallelujah, what a Savior. Lifted up was he to die. It is finished, was his cry. Now in heaven exalted high, hallelujah, what a savior. When he comes, our glorious king, all his ransom home to bring, then anew his song will sing, hallelujah, what a savior. Let's pray. You mind bowing your heads? Father, thank you for sending your son to the cross for our sins. Thank you that our labor of trying to please you with our self-righteousness is over. Your wrath against us because of our sins has been satisfied in the finished work of the cross. Thank you that we now have a glorious gospel to tell others about. That they too can cease from their own work and rest in the finished work of Christ. In Jesus name we pray.